It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Hey guys, it's Brian, your host for the Money Guy Show, and um, we've got kind of an exciting thing going on here today. We're going to release this show a full day earlier than normal, and that's because my associate over here who works the boards and gets things running for the Money Guy Show, Mr. Bo, is going to be off tomorrow. He's got a, a big weekend plan. Bo, you excited about this weekend? I can't wait. It's going to be a blast. It's going to start start after when I leave work today and hopefully carry all the way through the wedding on, on Saturday, so I'm really excited. So since Bo is going to go out and have some fun outside the office, you know, we I, I do let him outside the doors from time to time to, to see if he can still smile but you know I'll lock him down here once he walks in the doors but um i did today's show a lot of you guys wonder where we get show topics from and and you are the driving force a lot of times and today's topic actually came from one of our listeners who's also a client i, I have started picking up clients throughout the country based upon the money guy show who knew it you know when i started this thing that this was going to happen but if you do want to write the the, the Money Guy Show. You can write me directly at Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. You can also go to the Money Guy website. That's money-guy.com. And there you can read all of our show notes. Plus, you can even sign up for our new, our free service that blasts emails to you every time we post updated content. Now, one thing Bo asked me to do, some housekeeping just for the premium section of the Money Guys, that we've had renewals start kicking in, and they're renewing at the old $49 price and um, we are correcting that. If you do have an automatic renewal because you want to continue to support the show and like what we got going on, um, rest assured that refund is coming to you for the difference between the new price of $29.99 a year. So just want to give you a heads up on that. Now today's show, like I said, I have a client and a listener. This was a, this person was a listener that became a client. And um, I, when I start having questions like this from listeners and clients, I know it's time for me to cover the discussion. And what we're going to be talking about is how well do you know your indexed annuities? Um, you cannot turn on your radio, and, and if you're in a major metropolitan city where right now there's a, a, a commercial that comes on that says, it's basically a conversation that goes, hey, Bob, you ought to see this great new investment product I have. It uh, I make money when things are bad, like right now when the stock market is getting beat up, I make money. But guess what? If this thing turns around, I'm still going to make money. I'm going to make what the market does. And the person goes, wow, that seems like a great product. Tell me more about it. And then they usually throw out a website or a phone number or something like that. So I, I, when I'm riding down the street and I hear these, hear these commercials, I kind of go, Wow, that does sound great, but there's a catch. And I want to make sure that I'm not saying these products are, um, you know, spawned by Satan himself, but I am saying that these things, you need to know what's going on with them. I don't think they're bad products if you know what you're dealing with, but you need to know every aspect of, of these products before you buy an indexed annuity. Now, we've done shows on this in the past. Um, just like the products are controversial, I usually get some controversial emails because some people, um, I'm not trying to alienate my insurance listeners who are salesmen of insurance products. I just want to make sure everybody understands these products. So please, before you start writing um, that, that I have smoke coming out of my ears and eyes and fire out of my eyes, remember that I'm just trying to educate our, our listeners out there. So before I did that, though, I did want to take a step back and kind of talk about 
an article I read from Hayes Advisory. That's one of the subscription services. If anybody out there on the financial planning or investment advisory side, any professionals out there, I would strongly recommend you go check out the Hayes Advisory um, information service, their newsletter service. They send out information every week about the economy. They do, they're do. Te- they technicians. They do a lot of work. They're both CFAs, and they do a lot of research on just kind of the momentum of the market. I don't know if I agree with all that momentum play and the technical stuff, but I do um, like how they're able to take that technical information and roll it over into basic what I call real-world common sense of investing. And they had a great piece that came out this week they kind of hit me pretty hard because it ties into what I've been sharing with you guys. When, when That podcast I did a few weeks ago with In Cases of Emergency, listen to this. And then also, I, I, you know, we did that show last, the last show we did was actually on the power of dollar cost averaging, how volatility can actually be your friend if you're one of those people that's buying on a monthly basis. So when I read the, the, the newsletter that came out this week, it reminded me of something. You know, we do have a lot of craziness going on out there in the world right now. You know, you got this Gulf spill that just goes from bad to worse to just basically just dumping, dumping, dumping all this oil out there in the Gulf, which is hard for because I am in Georgia, the south side of Atlanta. And, and I'll tell you, most people here in my neck of the woods, we do go vacation down at the beach. And I'm um, one of the, the fortunate or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it, people who owns... Uh, with several other partners, a beach condo down in the the affected area. And we have directly been impacted. We've lost a lot of tenants. And this is when we make all of our money that pays for for our condo during this time. Now, we've we've started the claims process with BP. It is what it is. Uh, You know, if there's any problems, believe me, I will let my listeners know so that they can, um, you know, so we can use whatever we have. But the thing I'm, I'm, the point bringing it back to point is that there's a lot of negative stuff going on. You've got you've got the Gulf going on. You got the the problems we had over in Europe with Greece and their debt issues and then everybody starts looking at our financial statements and goes, "What about America and their debt issues?" And then uh, you know, with all this negativity, you it's good to have somebody say, "Yeah, that we have some cruddy stuff going on, but think about this." And that's what I want to do. I want to kind of amplify what Hayes Advisory said about thinking about this. You know, the Berlin fell, Berlin Wall, not Berlin, but Berlin Wall fell. Oops. But Berlin Wall fell. And the thing is, is that that was a huge thing that if you think about in world economies that has impacted all of us. And what I mean by that is that when that happened, you opened up, you had a whole new group of people that was going to see the power of free markets and the ability to become a consumer and, and make decisions on your own and, and, and figure out what was going to happen. Well, the same thing has kind of happened. If you think about the march of the global economy, is you have India, you have China, you know, that whole area of Asia, as well as, let's not leave out South America. South America has made some tremendous strides as well as the continent of Africa is that you don't hear a lot of the things about Africa talked about. You do hear about South America, but specifically Asia. All these are emerging marketplaces. And a lot of people, what you hear, if you listen on the nightly news, you hear clues, but you don't hear the true story. They kind of bury the lead of what's really going on if you take the big picture of everything. You hear about constantly that America's losing jobs, that all these people, all these high-tech jobs and so forth are going over to these other parts of the world. Well, you have to ask yourself, why is that happening? And this is not a political discussion, so don't worry. The reason that's happening 
is because the cost of labor is much it's cheaper. I mean, there's no other. I could I could give you fancy words, but it's just cheaper over there, or I should say it was cheaper. It, it probably is to a degree, but things are changing because as these workers start making money over in these emerging marketplaces, they make more money. You know, and, and the thing is, is that you can't keep paying people low wages forever. Is it is they make more money? There's more competition, and then over time, their wages starting to increase. Well, guess what? As their wages start to increase, you wake up this dragon or tiger, whatever. If you're talking about the Asian marketplace, you you wake up this huge force of additional consumers. A lot of the world in the past has looked at America as the consumer of the goods of the world. Well, guess what? We have done a good job of putting these emerging marketplaces through their incubators, incubator stages. While, they were, while these countries were getting in and building up their market force and their workforce, we were the consumers. But now that America is starting to have some issues with the consumption, because we're back to saving, which is a good thing, we need somebody else to pick up our slack. Well, guess what? There's an entire group of new individuals that are going to need washers and dryers, stoves, television sets, automobiles. This is exciting stuff. And you're seeing it, you know, the thing about what China has made with the flexibility they're adding now to their currency is that this will give even more power to their workers. And guess what? When the workers can now start making decisions on what they want to buy, we're going to benefit on the global side. So that's why I just want to step back and say, I know there's a lot of negative stuff going on, but when you start thinking about the long-term potential of having these countries, the, the, the whole global economy is pretty exciting. I, I can't wait to see what happens over the next 20 years. I really cannot. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity out there. And that leads to the next thing. I want to talk about how well do you know your indexed annuities. As I've already told you, the commercial on these things starts out Bo, by the way, I feel like I haven't given you a chance to really say much. Any, anything you want to add on, on kind of those thoughts about the global marketplace? No, I'm enthralled. I'm kind of just listening to you take the lead. <laughs> okay. Well, jumping back over to these indexed and equity annuities or indexed annuities, they, they've, they've kind of changed. They used to be called equity indexed annuities, but they've kind of updated the names to where now it kind of the, the encompassing name is just indexed annuities. Is when, when you hear people talking about indexed annuities, a lot of times they're, they're talking about the products that are tied to some type of marketplace. And haven't they thrown in fixed in there too? Fixed indexed annuities? Yes, that is, that has it been added. It makes it sound a little bit safer. It does. Bit. You know, these guys are, are great at um, figuring out how to, to market things to, to appeal to what pleases our ears. But I wanted to talk about these because it sounds like when I give you that, that the way these things are pitched, is that you have this ratchet. You know, I've heard them use the ratchet. You know, ratchet can goes one way but doesn't go the other way if you're using that tool. These things can go up with the marketplace, but then they don't go down if the marketplace goes down. You hear that, especially in these historically volatile times, and you start thinking, that's what I need. I want the market. But man, I do not like losing money. So how do I do this? So, and Bo, I'm going to put you on the spot um, while you're over there on the computer since I don't have the ability. Pull up the S&P 500, you know, the returns for the last 20 years, because I'm going to get you in a minute to call out some rates of returns over the years so that we can, we can talk about what's going on with these things and, and talk about real-life situations. So when you listen to these commercials, and I had a client call me up who's also a listener who said, Brian, tell me about these indexed annuities. You know, I kind of like that I could be making money and making what the market's doing without losing money. How, how does that work? 
Well, here's the catch. Let me, let me give you the two catches, and then I'm going to actually give you a quiz that was in the Wall Street Journal that was put out by Leslie. I'm probably going to slaughter Leslie's last name, but is it SISM? S-C-I-S-M. But Leslie did a great job of, and this came out last September. So this is, um, this is nine months ago she came out with this, but it was pretty interesting. Is that, by the way, did y'all know that last, in 2008, $25 billion worth of these products were sold. That's a lot of money. Well, in the first half of 2009 alone, they sold 15.2 billion. So these things have had a huge boost, and I've got to believe that's because of the volatility of the marketplace. A lot of people have been burned by what is going on out there with the stock market, and they just decided this is a safe way for them to have a play. Well, here's the catches, and then I'm going to walk you through how the, how you have to think about this. Is that these things? do offer you a guaranteed rate of return or they offer you zero in the years that market loses money. So you're basically protecting yourself from going down. But the big catch is, is really twofold. Here's the two things that trouble me about these products. First, they don't fully participate in what the stock market does, meaning that if the stock market makes 23 24% in a recovery year, you might only make 8 to 9%. Because they cap. They give you a cap rate on the most you can make. And if you are selling these things, it's very easy to say the stock market averages a rate of return of 10% a year. You're capped at 8% per, per year. And, in, in a per, and in a person selling these could say, look, you're only giving up 2%. But the problem is, is the reality is that markets don't make 10% a year. What they'll do is, is they make 20% one year and then they might lose you know, 7% another year, 10% another year. They're all over the place. There's a lot of ups and downs, but it's that yo-yo walking up a mountain. If you think about the visual of somebody walking up a side of a hill with a yo-yo, yeah, there's ups and downs, but you're going to a higher place. So that that's the thing is that if you can cap the rate of return, you're leaving a lot of money on the table. The second thing is, is that a lot of these products lock your money up for seven to 10 years. They have huge surrender fees. Up to 15% of your money can go away if you try to take that money out within that seven to 10 year period. Some even go as far as 15 years. I mean, who can make a commitment that they're gonna be with something for, for that long? And think about, you know, when we had all these global, these things are not insured by the FDIC or any, or any body out there to, to the degree that, you know, if we when AIG, well, got in trouble before the government came in and bailed them out. There were a lot of people that were really nervous about the 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 ability of these companies to pay. Now, the, the, the government's come in and helped out, but these things do have a catch. And that's what I wanted to kind of go through and read. How well do you know your indexed annuities? And this is based upon that article. And I'll see if Bo can link to this article. You probably, probably are going to need a, a Wall Street Journal uh account to do it but we can still give you the link and then if you have a wall street journal account you can go check it out but i'll just go through this with you because we do have a wall street journal subscription so leslie probably won't mind us sharing this the first thing is is here's the first question from leslie's quiz and what i liked about this is leslie gives you kind of her her thoughts afterwards is which is true of an equity indexed annuity a it returns the higher of a fixed interest rate or an amount tied to a market index like the standard and poor's S&P 500 index. That sounds good. Yeah, sounds right. B, it contains restrictions on how much of the gain index's gain you receive. 
Well, that told you that. That's, that doesn't sound too good. Doesn't sound good, but as I kind of let the cat out of the bag, that's probably true. Number C, they do steep surrender penalties often apply. Wait a minute. I was just told I wasn't going to lose money. And then D, the product is backed by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which covers bank certificates of deposit. Well, that's not true. So it's, it's answer E, which is A, B, or C, or it's E, F, all the above. So I think it's E, which is A, B, and C, which means that it is um, tied to an, a market like the S&P 500. It does contain restrictions on how much of the index's gain you receive. And C, it does have steep surrender penalties often apply. And, and she goes on, she says, answer E. The National Association for Fixed Annuities, a trade group, says the product is ideal for a customer who has never invested in stocks for fear of a loss, but wants the potential for a higher return than those available on another savings instrument. Also candidates, older investors who want to reduce their exposure to the stock market, but want higher upside potential than CDs. The only thing I would be worried about if I was a senior citizen is, is that what if you have a family member that gets in a crisis, needs some medical expenses, or what if you need some medical things covered and you're only able to pull out 10% a year? Because that's what a lot of them allow you to do. It goes on, it says, but the annuity isn't good for people who may need access to their money. Surrender penalties of 10 to 15% can apply in the first year of the contract, declining but not disappearing for 10 years in many instances. In general, you can pull out 10% of your money penalty-free each year. And beware. While some banks sell index certificates of deposit with similar elements, index annuities are backed by an insurer's financial strength, not the FDIC. Although state-mandated guarantee funds provide a safety net of dollar amounts that vary state by state. So there's the first thing. That's kind of a great overview that was done. Number two, what method is commonly used... Computing the index-based interest. Well, we have number A. Here's option A. Participation rate. Gives you a set percentage, say 80% of the index's gain. Okay. B. A cap sets a maximum level of index-based gains. If the index gains 10% and the cap is 8%, you get 8%. A spread applies. This is option C. A spread applies. You get, say, 3 percentage points less than the index return. Or D all the above, some simultaneously. So the answer is actually D, and that's just some, some of the complexity of these products. And then she goes on and she says, keep going. I hope Leslie is a girl, by the way. I started thinking that Leslie might be a man, too. But, okay. That, that'd be no good. Yeah. Anyway, Leslie, we appreciate the article. Um, number three, what method do insurers commonly use to determine the index, index's price change? So we've already got, there's variances how you calculate these things. So let's hear about how the prices are at least calculated. A, you have the annual reset, comparing the index's level at the start and end of each contract year. You have B, option B, which is point-to-point, -point, comparing the index's level at the start of the contract with the level, say, five years later. And then you have C, the high watermark, using the index's highest level of any contract anniversary date during, say, a five-year period. And then option D, which is index averaging, in which the index's value is averaged over a specific period. And then option E is all the above and more. <laughs> and Leslie goes on in the article and says, the answer is E. One of the most confusing features of an index annuity is the method used to calculate the gain in the index. The financial industry regulatory authority says in a primer, that's, a, that's the, the group that does 
you know, regulation for a lot of the financial industry. It says in a primer at FINRA.org that investors will find it difficult to compare one index annuity to another. Well, that's not good. And it says, and note, if you surrender your annuity before it, mat- it matures, not only will you pay a penalty, but also some insurers issuers won't credit you with any index-linked interest. So if you forfeit this thing early, you have a family emergency or something, you might be forfeiting all the money that you could have made just because you're getting out early. So you, it takes away your ability to vote with your feet, and I think that's one of the more important things out there. If somebody's doing you wrong, you ought to be able to move. Even some di- insurers dislike the products. Our feeling... Listen to this. This is from um, one of the top executives at New York Life, which is one of the biggest insurers in, in America. It says, Our feeling is that if you can't explain it to your mom or dad in plain English, it's not something we want to offer to our clients, says Chris Blunt, a top executive at New York Life Insurance Company, which doesn't sell indexed annuities. Number four, true or false? In most contracts, insurers can reduce participation rates, impose stiffer caps, and widen spreads after you buy the annuity. Well, how's that possible? You usually, at least with most insurance products, you have to, in order for them to change the terms of your contract, they have to go to the state insurance commissioner and ask to do the changes to everybody. It's not this way in this product. It says true. So it says true. Thomas Hamlin, a member of the Chairman's Council at Raymond James Financial, likes many annuities, but not most of the index ones because of insurers' ability to change their terms. They can move consumers back to the 50-yard line when they are about to score a touchdown, he says. Question 5. True or false? The index-based interest reflects changes in the price level of the index only. Dividends are usually are not included. The answer is true, and that's a big drawback. Critics say because dividends historically have been important to the total return of the S&P 500, a commonly used index. From 1969 through 2008, the S&P 500 averaged... 9.5% annual return, including dividends, but only 6% excluding dividends. So that's a big deal. That's taking away 3.5%, over half. You know, that's that's a third of really the total return. That's pretty pretty powerful stuff. Number six, true or false, guaranteed minimum returns are almost always an annual 1% to 3% of the money invested. And that answer is false. In fact, many contracts guarantee 3% on only 90% of your invested amount. And some go as 1.5% on 85% of the money, says Scott Stoltz, president of Planning Corporation of America, a Raymond James unit that provides insurance and annuity expertise to the firm's financial advisors. Mr. Stoltz's group recommends annuities offering 1% to 3% on 100% of the money invested. So make sure, if you are going to jump into these products, you're getting all of your money to get that guarantee. Um, let's go down to number seven. Okay, let's recap. Assume your annuity has a 3% guaranteed annual growth of the invested amount, a participation rate of 100%, a cap of 6% a year, and an annual reset. The index goes from 500 to 600 for the year. How much interest, interest do you get? Answer A is 6%, B is 9%, C is 20%, or D is 23%. Now, Obviously, going from 500 to 600 is a pretty good rate of return for the, for, for the index. Well, the answer is you make 8%. Buyers who don't understand the fine print might think that the participation rate of 100% would dictate that you would get 20%, matching the index's gain. But the index cap, 6%, here, prevails as a general rule. Number eight, 
What are the typical commissions for an equity indexed annuity? The option is A, 4%, meaning that whatever the contract amount is, so you're giving them $100,000, are they going to make 4%, which is $4,000? Are they going to make 5%, which is $5,000? C, I mean, B, B is 6%, um, 6% to 10%. Oh, I got this. I read this all wrong. So let me start over. What are the typical commissions for equity index annuities? Option A is 4 to 5%. So on $100,000, that's $4 to $5,000. Option B is 6 to 10%. That's $6,000 to $10,000. Or option C is 12 to 15%. The answer is B. That's six percent to ten percent. So you give them a hundred grand, they're gonna make between six to ten thousand dollars off of that alone. Now, common sense test here, guys. If you give somebody a hundred thousand dollars, they only invest nine, you know, ninety to ninety-four thousand of that hundred. You're probably starting a little behind, aren't you? you? How are you gonna make that money up? It says commissions are paid by the insurer, and that's another thing they'll tell you. Say so you don't pay me anything. The insurance companies pay me. That is true. But it's still at your expense. So the insurers do pay, not the consumer, but they ultimately come at the consumer's expense. If fat commissions are paid, insurers, and this is I'm reading from the article again, if, if fat commissions are paid, insurers have less leeway to make the products more generous to buyers. In other words, higher commission products tend to have lower guaranteed returns and lower caps and or participation rates. Also, the fatter the commission, the more incentive an agent has to sell, regardless of it's the best products for your needs. And I, I've, 6 to 10% is a pretty fat commission. Option 9, commissions below 6% virtually never exist with these annuity products. And that's false. Under criteria used, and this, this is where it starts to sound a little bit like a Raymond James commercial, but it's okay. <laughs> Under criteria used by Raymond James, commissions or indexed annuities sold by brokers must be no more than 7.5%, and most of what they sell is 4 to 5%, says Mr. Stoltz. Um, they recommend the firm advisors also favor indexed annuities that carry surrender charges for five years or less. So that's about half of what the industry trend is. Altogether, criteria used by Raymond James eliminate roughly to 50 to 70% of the indexed annuities out there. So, and then the last question was, who regulates equity indexed annuities? Is it A, the state insurance department? Is it B, the Securities and Exchange Commission? Or is it D, FINRA? And the answer is actually A, at least for now. It says the SEC voted in December of 2000. When was this article done? Yeah, so they voted back in December, it looks like of 2008, to regulate indexed annuities as securities as of 2011. So we haven't reached that point yet. This change would mean that an insurance agent would need a securities license to sell the product, but some insurers challenged the ruling, and a federal appeals court in July ordered the SEC to reconsider its move, saying the SEC failed to properly consider the effect of the rule upon efficiency, competition, and capital formation. FINRA doesn't regulate the products, but it regulates brokerage firms with sales forces that sometimes sell the annuities. So I thought that was a great recap of what these things are. If you, I mean, one of the key things is, is what does the, the, the organization that represents the people selling these product list as the best people for this group? And it says the product is ideal for a customer who has never invested in stocks. How many of you have never invested in a stock, but has never invested in stocks for fear of loss, but wants the potential for a higher rate of return than those available on another savings investment? So I guess better than cash. Also, candidates, older investors who want to reduce their exposure to the stock market but want higher upside potential than CDs. So 
that's um that's my take on indexed annuities. Bo, do you have anything you want to throw out there? No, I think that um, I mean, I think the thing that I, I like the least about them, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know, the way these things are written is they just tie even the ones that only have a five year surrender charge. They tie your money up for say you know five years, guaranteeing you three percent. Um, and I don't have the data in front of me, but, but I bet if we went and looked at rolling five-year periods, I mean, the stock market's going to make at least that, right? I mean, is, isn't that how these insurance companies make money? I mean, aren't they, aren't they taking your money that you put in these annuities and essentially doing the same thing that you could do on your own? That's a great point. And, and let me, because I'm glad you jogged my memory, because one of the things I will tell you, where do you want to be in this whole discussion is I want to be the insurance company. And here's why is because we have been through a historical moment here with the financial markets. As I've shared with you guys, is that if you look at the earnings per share on the entire S&P 500, the, the yield has almost doubled, meaning that the, 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 the stocks are earning a lot. Not the, the, the earnings per share of the S&P 500 is almost double where it was 10 years ago. And, that, and I had somebody write in on after last week's show saying, well, that's inflation, right? No, that's not inflation. Inflation might be the reason that earnings are going up for all the corporation and the company. But if the stock price never went up, it stayed the same for the entire index, then inflation could be a cause of those earnings going up, but that's not inflation. You're actually making, it just means the valuation. You're getting a better deal on the investment. So think about this from a contrarian standpoint. If you're the insurance company, you've got all these people. We go through a worse, you know, a historical market that's just as bad, or it makes people feel just as bad as it was during the Great Depression, which is a once every two to three generation type downturn. So you've got these people flocking and wanting security. So they buy in when everything is undervalued and down, which if you look at the charts, the maximum point of financial risk is when markets are at all-time highs. Maximum point of financial opportunity is when markets are at really steep historic lows. So you have insurance companies selling these products that caps how much money can be made by the people buying them. But you're getting into the markets at historical lows. So... If we get back, if you look at the statistical data, and you and you get a market that, that you know historically makes somewhere between eight to twelve percent, depending upon what year and decade you're looking at, and we have a decade where it's made zero, there's probably going to be a period of outsized performance to get back to the statistical average, and so it really, if you're the insurance companies, you're going to come out of this thing smelling like a rose because when we're sheep, remember people are sheep. And when everybody is scared to death, that's a good thing. That's a good sign, I should say, for the opportunity in the future. Is because we're typically wrong. Our, our behavior of flocking and, and acting like sheep, typically we do things the worst. Meaning that when the stock market is at all-time highs, cash levels are typically at super low points. And when stock markets are super cheap at all-time lows, typically cash levels are super high. Because what do we do? We flock to security when we had the most opportunity. So who's going to come out of this thing smelling like a rose? The insurers, because what they're doing is they're locking in a lot of people. They're selling the heck out of these things. They're going, and then when the market gets back to historical norms, start make, making some great money based upon all this stuff going on in the global marketplace, innovation, and all these other things. And, you, and they're going to get the majority of the money that you're leaving on the table by taking that 8% cap. And that's what, Bo, I wanted to ask you to read out Read out the the stock market return for the last since I don't know. Let's start in the la in the last 
you know, decade, you know, really started off, let's see, we're in 2010, so started off as in 2000, because that was a down year. All right, in the year 2000, the market lost 9.11%, so all right, that's good. You that's made, good. You, you made, made money. You either, you either made a zero, meaning that if you had one of the products that went to zero, or you made one, two, or three percent. So you were glad you were in the equity index annuity. All right, 2002, market lost again, lost 22.1%. You're really glad you're in the equity index annuity. Okay, so then 2003 was a recovery year. Market made 28.7%. So that year you'd only make 8% or less, 6 to 8%, and you'd probably... You know, leave the other 20% for the insurance company. Um, 2004, the market made 10.87%. So once again, you're capped at somewhere around 8% probably, 6 so to 8%. Two, 2005, you made 4.91%. Okay, so you'd have probably just gotten the, you'd have, well, you'd have made, you'd made a 4.5%. Well, now remember, they calculate a little bit differently. So this is what the actual index made. So you'd probably Oh, we got to take out the dividend. You'd probably make some, some sort of, well, no, even they said, you know, based on those, I don't even understand the perform the formula. You know, I'm a, a CFP candidate, and I can't understand this. You know, they said it's based on participation rates and all this stuff. So if the market makes 4.9, you're making some fractional percentage less than that, greater than 3%, right? Possibly. So you're probably making three to three and a half percent. Right. Um, all right. 2006, great year. Market made 15.8%. So you're probably capped somewhere in the six to eight percent range. 2007, market made 5.49%. So, who knows? And those are the years that it's below it's six to eight. It's hard to know what you would make. All right. So then, two thousand eight happens. The market loses thirty seven percent. Right. So you're feeling pretty good. But then, two thousand nine happens. Market makes twenty three and a half percent. So, with that said, with how you read all those negative. Now, I want to. I'm going to challenge you to do something else because I see you have a lot of historical data. So we just had a bad decade, a really bad decade. But I want you to take it back 10 years early. Go back to 1990 to 2000. All right, you ready? In 1990, market lost a little over 3%, 3.17%. Okay. Um, 1991, market made 30, 30.55%. Ooh, you're, you're really hating that investment at that point. 92, market made 7.67%. Okay. 93, market made 9.99%. 94, okay. market made 1.31%. Okay. Ninety-five market. Now this is where it gets. This is where you kind of kicking yourself if you're one of these. Ninety-five, the market made thirty-seven point four. Ninety-six okay. market made twenty-three. Ninety-seven market made thirty-three point four. Ninety-eight market made twenty-eight point six. Ninety-nine market made twenty-one. So you, you can see this thing, and this is, and I think Bo hit on it, and I, is that I will tell you clients that I have. Now you know we manage money here. Clients that I have that have been with me for over five years, every one of them would have done better than the 3% guaranteed, even going through 2008 as bad as it was. And that's one of the things you've got to recognize is that there's a reason these things can offer so much security. And so refresh my memory, Brian. These things are these things are really great when the market loses money. How often, you know, just a historically, you know, roundabout number, how often is the market down? Usually 25% of the time. So you you know, once you know, you have you have two downturns a decade so, typically. So once every 4 years. So this thing is rocking once every 4 years. But then, you know, you, historically the other 3 out of the 4, you're kind of missing missing the boat. And if you stay invested, it almost goes down to zero chance of, of outperform. Uh, you're, you're better off, at, you know, not very often. If you if you stay, the prop what this will protect you from is the people who 
are scared investors, meaning it's, it's like I said, somebody who's never done the stock market because they've been scared of the volatility. If you're one of those people that's going to stick your toe in the water and then just because it's cold because the stock market's in a down period, then yeah, you don't need to be in the stock market because nobody should be in the stock market who can't let the money go for five to seven years. So, you know, according to those, you know, one out of four numbers, would a good planning strategy be, say you are retired or you're entering retirement, you're getting close, you know, keep two years of cash, you know, yeah. two years to cover expenses in cash. Do you think that would keep you, I mean, keep you safe and then let the markets kind of do what they need to do as an alternative to buying one of these annuities? Yeah, it, it, it would. You know, I'm going to let the people decide what's best for them in the general. But I would think, think about this from the insurer's standpoint is, is that they're controlling your behavior. They don't let you come out of these products unless you stay fully invested for at least five to 15 years, depending upon the surrender period. So they can control your behavior. You can't head for the exit doors between that five and 15 year period. And I've just told you there's not many times in history, if ever, that in a 5- to 15-year period, if you just stayed invested, that you wouldn't have beat what CDs are already doing. So they, they, it's, it's a win-win, really, for the insurance company because they can control your behavior, so they make you a long-term investor, plus they get to keep all the potential upside of, of the broad markets. And, I mean, you have to realize, if you don't think the stock market's going to continue to make money in the future, you need to go buy a bow and arrow and fill your basement full of water. Because that is what drives tax revenue. That's what drives everything that you and I have going on out there in the marketplace. So I've got to run to a meeting up in Atlanta, so we're going to have to close this thing out. But thank you so much for listening to The Money Guy Show. Hopefully we've tried to give you some insight in what you should think about when you're dealing with these indexed annuities. And um, write the show if you want to give some feedback. Brian, B-R-I-A-N at money-guy.com. You can also check out the show notes at money-guy.com. I'll talk to you in about two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston. And Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.